Hey, hey, everybody. Just want to take a quick minute before we start today's show to tell you about another great podcast, Good Morning Liberty. It's hosted by our friends, Nate and Charlie. They've taken on the onus of trying to change people's minds of how people view libertarians. And they're doing this by leading with a message of compassion first. They're looking at the way in which policies impact people and using the principles of liberty to provide compassionate solutions. I know it's amazing, right? So much more effective than just typing loudly and screaming to yourself and commenting on Facebook statuses. But they're actually giving you tangible ways to talk to other human beings about how liberty is compassion. Amazing, right? So Nate and Charlie, they have a, uh, a background in healthcare. They actually own a healthcare IT company. So at times like this and times of crisis uh, that we have in this country right now, a great podcast to tap into to get their perspective. You can check it out five days per week. So if you need that uh, daily hit of liberty, please check out Nate and Charlie over at Good Morning Liberty. We are born free and we will die free. Time in between, though. That's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Freedom here on Lines of Liberty. And before we get started today, real quickly, just have one thing that I want to plug that I want to talk about. Very important topic. Then we'll get to my interview with Fergus Hodgson. Uh, Excellent interview with Fergus. Great guest. But before we get to that, I just want to talk about what's happening on Monday. Very special episode coming from Mark Clare, the host of our flagship program, It is his 500th episode, and uh, we actually recorded it this past week. It was a lot of fun to record, a lot of special guests, uh, special guest appearances. You guys will not be disappointed. And as a celebration, as a way to celebrate uh, Mark making 500 episodes, uh, if you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please do that. And if you have not left us a uh, a five-star review and a nice comment, please do that. Because Mark has worked his butt off uh, producing 500 episodes of his uh, flagship program here, interviewing so many incredible people on that program. So please do that for Mark. Congratulations, Mark, and uh, enjoy today's episode. But also, come back on Monday. Let's get rolling with today's show. On today's episode of Finding Freedom here on Lions of Liberty, we welcome back Fergus Hodgson. Uh, Originally from New Zealand, he is an independent economic consultant, uh, previously the editor-in-chief of of the Pan Am Post and director of fiscal policy studies with the John Locke Foundation in North Carolina. He holds a BA in economics from Boston University, a graduate diploma in political science from the University of Wakaito, that's in New Zealand. And we just talked about pronouncing that pre-show, and I probably probably butchered it. But uh, Andy has a certificate in Cuban studies from the University of Miami. Currently, he's studying and almost finishing his studies at Rice University in Houston, Texas. And he's also the director 
of Econ Americas, which we'll talk about that. He's been on Lines of Liberty twice before, once with Mark back in 2016, and again with Brian in 2018, and we'll link to both those on the show notes. Fergus, welcome back to Lines of Liberty, but welcome for the first time to Finding Freedom. John, it's my privilege. I've been a listener to your show as well for so long. And as I said before we started recording, it feels like we're growing up together. So all these, you know, Liberty believers, we're, we're, we're getting older now, you know, fam- families, it's, it's a different era. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's funny you bring that up because last night um, we recorded Mark's 500th episode of... Oh. Uh, of his show is uh, the flagship program here at Lions of Liberty. And that'll actually air this coming Monday. So don't miss that. Um, but just reminiscing and bringing on, you know, different people, past guests, people who've, uh, you know, used to be affiliated with Lions of Liberty and kind of trailed off with families and things. And it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy to think how much time has passed and we're still here talking about the ideas of Liberty, talking about important things. And maybe during the time we're in right now, um, probably the most important time to get these ideas out there. So when uh, Mark approached me and said you were interested in coming back on and it'd be a good fit for uh, my new format here with with Finding Freedom, I, I jumped at the opportunity to have you on. So I kind of just want to kick things off with you and, and let you take it from here for a little bit. Mm. Tell us what you've been up to. These, these past two years, you're in Houston now, you're finishing up there at Rice University. Last time you were on the show in 2018, so much has happened what have you been up to these past two years? Too many things, but basically, John, I, you know, it, it's so strange to be going through this time because over a decade ago, when I was finishing off my, you know, studies in, back in New Zealand, we had the, the, the global financial crisis and the, the job market was in a terrible situation and just people were thinking the world was coming to an end. And we had all this bailout money, which we thought was just astronomical. It seems like small potatoes now. And so I worked in think tanks after that. But about five years ago, I decided I wanted to work more in finance. And in some ways, it was, it's been a long-term pivot where I've just devoted my attention to that, including coming back and getting an MBA in finance. And so what have I been doing? I've been studying. I've been writing. I've been a columnist. I've had my own podcast for about four or five years now on finance. And... Uh, trying to build a life independent from conventional employment. Mm-hmm. I'm not against it. You know, some people have different uh, affinities, but trying to build a life that I really can enjoy and not feel like some, you know, slave maybe, or just, you know, some uh, hamster on a wheel or whatever you call it. And so just been learning a lot. I've been trying to find my place in the world, like all these uh, Liberty uh, yeah, advocates or believers Sometimes we feel like an alien, you know, we feel like we don't fit in. And so, I mean, I guess what the, that's what the Free State Project was about. And uh, I still believe, you know, this might seem strange to a lot of the listeners, and I know uh, Brian McWilliams has promoted the idea of going outside the United States. I still personally believe that the United States is the best place to live. Yeah, so I'm, I'm here, at least for, you know, for the meantime. So, so you plan on sticking around? I guess you answered answered my next question. Well, the, the, actually, the, the follow up is just that I don't know if I can, right? Because I'm not a U.S. citizen, right? And what I'm probably going to have to do once I'm finished with the with my studies is settle in Canada. I'm a Canadian citizen through my mother, mm-hmm. 
And so I'll, I'm looking to live in Calgary, which is a, it's kind of like the Houston of Canada, the energy capital and more of a pro-business place. So it's about as close to the United States as I can get while not actually being in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I can keep all my work going with, let's say, US publications or outlets. And that's, that's what I'm, I'm trying to do at the moment. I'm, I'm building that you know, momentum while I'm still finishing off my studies. What kind of impact has coronavirus and the lockdowns had on just your studies going to school? Did everything go remote? <laughs> has it been, have you been in a yeah. classroom in the past, in the past year? Well, I mean, first I should, I don't, I don't mind saying that it has really hurt my business that a lot of my clients have been um, struggling mm-hmm. and have had to cut back. And so that just meant everyone had to tighten his belts. And so I've had to do the same. And the, you know, so in terms of classes, it has been a disaster for universities. And as part of it is self-inflicted, to be frank, in that the universities, since they're so risk averse or institutionally conservative, mm-hmm. they just don't want anything to go wrong. I mean, even someone getting sick is just too much for them to ha- you know, consider. And yet in the, at, at the same time, by basically shutting down almost all classes in person, they have avoided the university, um, you know, environment. And so in, t- in the last year, I've been to maybe half a dozen classes in person where we had to get a test. We had to go with face masks on and be distanced from each other. So it's not even, it's almost like not being in class because you can't see each other's mouths and you're not mm-hmm. even close to anybody. So it's, it's very deleterious. And I, the, the one, maybe the silver lining to this is that universities are going to have to do, go through a huge um, maybe reawakening or identity crisis because what's, what, what this has laid bare for universities is that the actual educational content they offer is not what people want, right? Because you could actually offer the educational content online, mm-hmm. but you can't offer the college experience. You can't offer the sports. You can't offer the social events. And that has crippled their, let's say, tuition-paying uh, students or has crippled that demand. And so in some ways, I mean, I'm, I'm a, even though you, you listed all these universities I've studied at and I've spent so much time at university in my life, but in some ways I'm really glad that it's forcing them to have a look in the mirror and consider what they're, what they're doing with themselves because I just think that they, they are, you know, maybe they're going through an identity crisis and universities in general I think that's, there's, there's almost like a, a facade that they are there to educate people when you know that everyone is bored in classes. Mm-hmm. And there's a great book by Brian Kaplan. I'm not sure whether he, I, I think he's been on Lines of Liberty at some point about the saddest thing to him as a professor is just the way that students are so bored. They don't want to be there. And doing group assignments, this makes us very clear. You just, we're all just pulling teeth trying to get everyone to do the assignments because people are not passionate about it, which is a great tragedy because guys like you, John, and, and all of us people who love podcasts and the ideas, well, we love to learn. We, we're addicted to learning basically. And so we, you know, when I see this, almost like, I wouldn't say it's acting fake learning, but this just sort of um, uninspired learning, it, it's sad to me. 
Yeah, it's not, uh, maybe it's a way to say it, it's not self-guided learning. Um, you're not able to sort of, you know, take an idea or uh, take something and, and you know, do your own thing with it. It's it's all very structured and a lot of memorization, things like that. It, it will be interesting to see what happens, especially, you know, when you factor in what they're talking about now with, uh, with Congress and Joe Biden supporting um, – student loans, basically forgiving student loans of $50,000 and more, wow. which what happens there? I mean, do you can, do they continue then all of a sudden, you know, the next people still just start accruing student loan debt. Do they set up some, uh, it, it could really change the way that higher education is uh, structured in this country for, forever. And at the end of the day, mm-hmm. really devalue college degrees and basically make high school degrees even more so meaningless than they are today. Yeah. That I mean, if 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 the Biden administration actually does that, that will be an extremely short short sighted uh, decision, because mm-hmm. any any you know policy researcher or economist will be able to explain that forgiving student loans is obviously a benefit to wealthier people, right, or to higher earners, because people who are poor are not going to university, so the people who hold student loans tend to be not the wealthiest 1% or whatever, but to tend to be educated, you know, by definition, educated classes. And so I don't think it's a very regressive policy. Uh, also, as you said, it would create an, an enormous uh, confusion in how we actually administer student loans. Now, you're right. What is happening with university now, and I've seen this in my own lifetime, that a bachelor's degree has become so devalued and uh, I, um, I basically have two bachelor's degrees in economics and political science, and that's just not enough to be, let's say, a research director or a researcher with almost any organization these days. And I came back for one reason to basically show that, yes, I am an expert in economics and finance, mm-hmm. and I can speak about it, uh, but it really shouldn't be that way because you would know, and you know, this is just my own experience, that obviously following your own curiosity, you know, your, your self-directed learning is far more productive for retention than being basically force-fed learning. And that's why I learned the vast majority of my economics outside of the university, going to conferences or doing my own reading relative to actually going to university. And one of the programs I did at the University of Miami was a non-credit course, this, this certificate program. So there were no grades or anything like that. The fascinating thing was that we actually probably learned more there than in regular classes because people just came because they were curious. And we just had these evening classes and we had these wonderful uh, exiles from Cuba, these guys who fought in the Bay of Pigs. You know, one of the guys who was actually in uh, Fidel Castro's army that overthrew the government or the guerrillas overthrew the government and the revolution. And we had the top Cuban blogger, Yuani Sanchez, come and chat with us. And it was just amazing, right? We, we didn't need grades. And then they did give us assigned readings if we wanted to do them. And I, I read and wrote reviews, but it was just that to me was actual education because the curiosity was there. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I wish, of course, there were more proficiency tests where, where, when it comes to, let's say, mathematics or writing or editing, or whatever it may be, or accounting, as opposed to just sitting around for four years or much, much longer than that. Right. 
Well, we, we could talk about this the whole show, but <laughs> we, we have so much to talk about. That's that's the yeah, hard part. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to pivot. You did mention that your, your business has been impacted by COVID. Um, could you yeah. tell us, you know, th- this is uh, Econ uh, Americas. Tell us what, yes, yeah. w- what you do, what you offer, and share with us, you know, w- what's really happened due to COVID. Yeah, basically, we, we are a, a financial and economic research firm, and we also help uh, our companies take their own policy, economic, financial research to the audience, to the, to the masses. So we'll help you with your social media, with your editing, headline selection, all sorts of the, you know, the communi- communicative elements, communications elements. Mm-hmm. And what has happened is that the, a lot of the think tanks and publications we work with, they simply have had, you know, their, their donations have been drying up, their uh, revenues have been drying up, uh, sponsors have been falling away, and that just you know someone has to has to take a take a uh, a hit. And so we had to negotiate with some uh, firms to either lower the price or limit our services for the year. And that still has not come back. To be frank, that some firms are still hurting, especially in in Canada. The lockdowns have actually gotten stricter this year relative to last year, which is unthinkable to me. But that is the case. So you know. I'm, we, we basically with, with Econ Americas, I've got a team of people who largely were journalists before and journalists and policy wonks who have been educating themselves in, in finance. And the view is that we have special knowledge of Latin America because we've been on the ground, we've been reporters there, mm-hmm. and we can help with the equity, equity research due diligence process, unlike any other team. And that's, that's, the, that's the value added uh, pitch or you know, sales pitch. And uh, I am just, you know, waiting to do it more full time. I hope to turn it into an actual newsletter, so a subscriber-oriented newsletter, and we're going to do a pre-sale at the end of this year. So I'm just going to be working with clients about what they'd like to see in that newsletter, what would make it worth their time, and whether we can get a sufficient, a critical mass of people sufficient to make it uh, sustainable. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we'll, we'll, st- we'll continue doing contract work, but I would love to turn that towards our own publication uh, in time. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's important work. And it, it, it is interesting because that is such a special specialized knowledge and it's cool. It's sort of like a, uh, people talk about having like a, a skill stack and when you can stack being a journalist and having that, you know, investigative ability, and then you tie that to a certain region. Um, it, it makes sense to me why that's a unique, uh, unique setup you have there. I hope but, so, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's not really intuitive to think that, you know, um, having you know journalists uh, and training them in finance would be, it's not something that would just come to mind as a natural thing to do, but it, it makes perfect sense when you really, uh, really start to critically think about it. So with, uh, I've seen you write about nomadic living, the, uh, the, di- the digital nomad. Mm. And obviously with the, uh, events of the past year and lockdowns and all this remote working I've, I've been working remotely for the past year off and on uh, for my corporate job, which, which has been nice. I, I enjoy that a lot better than, you know, making the, the hour commute in and out of the office. But what, where do yeah. you foresee things going both in the U S outside the U S and you know, more of than I do what's happened in, uh, in South America. Uh, but do, do you see, First of all, just corporations shifting more to a remote workspace, and also, 
Do you think that uh, since maybe people have reclaimed a little bit of their freedom, a little bit more time at home, not having that, uh, uh, you know, that travel to work, do you think more people are going to be inclined to uh, do what you were talking about before with yourself, sort of setting up a career, a uh, a uh, work, you know, uh, that you're in control of, where you're not beholden to a boss or a manager or someone else? Yeah, so. That's great. Yeah, there, are, there are two questions there, John, about... Might be three or four questions. I don't know. Whether just... people, yeah. <laughs> whether people are going to take up the digital nomad or there's some word, I uh, digital nomad, whatever, digital nomad uh, life. Mm-hmm. And in the first one regarding the changing corporate world, I do believe there's, there's no going back now that so many people do not want to go into offices anymore. And there's going to be a much more flexible world, and that's great. The sad thing for, for me is that I was already working online, right? And so then I, but I would go out for events, and all those events have gone. So now I'm just at home all the time. You know? so, <laughs> so that's not ideal. And I can't even travel, really. I mean, even going back to Canada, they have these stupid uh, isolation centers you've got to be taken to. If you go there, it's, it's just ridiculous. So I do think that that is going to change. And... We're going to have to learn, companies are going to have to learn how to make online work more engaging and more human. And this is just like universities are having to learn to do that as well, to make it much more, to raise the quality, to go beyond just uh, an online video or an online lecture and have much more engagement or surveys or games or whatever it may be. And you'd be surprised how all those little additions, you know, whether it's emoticons and the chats or whatever, make a difference to, for, for people being engaged. Because I've, I've been working online and remotely since about 2013, early 2013. So a long time. And you'd be amazed how you can build up camaraderie with people, even though you barely, if ever, meet them in person. And I, you know, one of my workers has been with me for maybe eight years, seven years now. And we just obviously have a close, you know, it's very, there's a lot of care for each other, right? So we, we, we're more than just workers, we're colleagues, we're, we're great friends. And so I do think it's, it's not going to change. Uh, there's going to be a permanent impact. And anyone who works in real estate knows this, that if you have, if you, let's say you own a REIT or a real estate investment trust that focuses in office rentals or retail, Man, you're hurting right now. You oh, know, yeah. you've taken a hit. Yeah. So it's not coming back. And in some cities where it, it, there's been a, a, a confluence of events or a, a co- coincidence of events where both there's been this COVID hit, plus there's been a depression in energy prices. So Houston is one of those cities. Calgary, where I'm going, is, is another where the downtowns have just been hollowed out. It's, it's just emptied out. And they're even talking in Calgary about basically redeveloping the downtown for residential again, because they're just, they're, they don't see any time, any, anywhere in the future will, will it ever be populated by office workers like it was in the past. So this, yeah, this is a permanent change. And my own view is that it's for the better, to be frank. Uh, who really, I, mean, I remember back to the days when I used to, used to drive to work and I would always be, I was a bad worker. I would come in late and then work late. So I'd, I'd miss the traffic. Too. Best way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was one of those bad workers who would come in about 10 o'clock and then go home at about eight, eight o'clock or something. Mm-hmm. But, and, 
but sometimes I'd actually go to work on time and I'd go, what, who, who lives, who, who drives in this traffic? This is ridiculous. And I just thought people are stuck in this world. Who would want to be that, you know, live that way. So I, I take it as a, a blessing. Now, in terms of picking people, picking up the nomadic life, I've lived, you know, almost a nomadic life. I mean, relative to most people for the better part of a decade. Right. And that includes about eight countries, depending on how you calculate it, right? Mm -hmm. And most of the time in Argentina, Guatemala, Ireland, United States, Canada, uh, Colombia, Ecuador, you know, anyway, but regardless, I've come to the conclusion just that this just does not fit most people, that you have to have a very distinct personality to be able to handle that way of life. And people often get excited about the, the, maybe the travel blogosphere and they just think, oh, let's just, there are all these lovely memes, just go, just, just run away. And I'm going, your problems are not going to go away by you running away. And so let me try and round that, round that up a little bit. I have been traveling uh, for a long time and I know lots of expat communities. I was just down in San Miguel de Allende in Mexico uh, about a, a month ago. And the, tr the painful truth about digital nomads is that most of them are losing money. Most of them are going backwards. Making a living online and traveling at the same time mm -hmm. is not that easy. It takes time to learn how to do that. And not only because, uh, you know, there's, there are all these disruptions and you're changing places and it's just, you're just less, less productive. The competition for online services is huge. Let's say you want to be an editor online or you wanted to be a, a voice actor online. You know how cheap these services are because every man and his dog is online offering the same services, trying to compete with you. And there's just, there are just no barriers to entry, of course. So I, I used to think there would be this renaissance of people living like I did. I don't think that anymore. Mm -hmm. And also... One of the reasons why, I mean, first, I just don't think people like cut out for it. I don't think we're evolved to live in a nomadic fashion. Some of us are, you know, some of us are more inclined to be explorers or pioneers or whatever, but most people are not. And at the same time, you know, with the, with the level of bureaucracy around us, it just, I just see how there, there are a lot of maybe administrative hurdles. So for example, when I lived, lived in Guatemala, I wanted to get a driver's license, right? Because my American license, license had expired. I just gave up trying to get one in Guatemala. And I, I actually flew to Canada and just gave them a friend's address and got a, a Canadian driver's license and, and went along with that. So just, but, but the thing is you might say, oh, who needs a driver's license? Actually, you do need one, you know, for many instances for identification, you know, let's say you go to the country and there are not, you know, good buses around, whatever, you might need to rent a car. So there you are lo buy, lots buy of- Buy some wine, buy some beer. Yeah, license. sure. You know, ba basically I just realized that the administrative world or the, you know, the, the, the world we live in is just not amenable to people who live outside the box like I've been doing for 10 years. And that's why you really have to be determined and devoted to make it work. And it's taken me a long time to get to that point, you know, basically a decade of learning to mm -hmm. get to the point where I can really do what I love, have great flexibility with my schedule, travel where I want to, and the irony is that now that I've been doing it for 10 years, I'm ready more to settle down. Huh. <laughs> there you go. I, I, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I think you bring up a good point with the nomadic life not being for most people. I mean, someone like myself, 
I, I could never, at least at this point in my life, you know, my wife and I have a young daughter mm. moving around right now. I mean, but people do it. Um, so I'm, I'm not yeah. going to say they can't be done, but it, it's very, very complicated to, uh, to be able to do it. But I guess mine would be like a partial nomadic life where I'm just like the ability to, you know what, if it's cold up here in Pittsburgh in the winter, let's go live in Florida for, uh, for three months, something like that. Yeah. So to have uh, that that flexibility, sort of like a semi well, semi nomadic life. Yeah. Well, the challenge is that as soon as you start getting uh, assets or possessions, forget it. It's all over, yeah. right? So even I have a rowing machine here in my living room, and I can't just put that on a plane with me. So I basically have have to sell any possessions, even my bike that I bike I bike to you know to and from the university. I can't I can't use right when I when I travel. Mm-hmm. So. You have to learn, you get, you know, it's a trade off your face, John. And, and especially once you've got a child or whatever, it's just really tough. And it's also, it's, it's, it can become an addiction, right? You want to just keep on traveling, keep exploring, even though it's hurting you financially to do so, because you realize that if you want to start making big money or good money, you've got to really build a network. And that often requires in person interaction. And, you know, so even now, uh, as I build my own company, people think, where, where are you? And I don't really have a physical location. Our work is online, mm-hmm. but that just people are just not accustomed to dealing with that. It's, it's, it's scary to them. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So I, I did want to leave a little time here at the end to talk about your native of New Zealand. And, you know, right. I, I'll see, it's amazing the number of people I'll see cite the Australian or New Zealand, New Zealand lockdowns as a positive. Um, even, even people who are libertarian leaning and I'd just be, be shocked to hear it. So I'm just mm. curious to get your perspective on what's happened in New Zealand. Obviously the, uh, the Fauci's of the world have cited them as, you know, doing things the, the right way with, with locking down and um, they've been able to contain uh, COVID, but, Obviously, you you have friends and family there. So, what what's been your perspective on everything that's happened? Yeah, it, it, mate, it's, I'm really glad we get to talk talk about this because I am just so sick of hearing all this admiration for New Zealand and dealing with the COVID. It is ridiculous, and there are many reasons why that admiration has risen. Of course, New Zealand has. I'm not making this up. Basically, a Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren prime minister. And this lady was the communications officer for the, I think it was the Socialist International Youth or something like that. This, this lady is hardcore uh, socialist. And uh, the only good thing about it really is her own incompetence, her incapacity to actually get anything done. So if she, if she were more competent, look out. <laughs> because when she was in the campaign mode, she's with the Labor Party, so the Workers' Party, mm-hmm. they, were at, they were promising to build 100,000 houses public house, state houses, right? So the projects for 100,000 projects, basically, well, 100,000 buildings. We don't really have apartment complexes so much in New Zealand. And this is a country of 4 million people. So it's it's a lot of houses. And as far as I know, they only built about 17. And this was in the New York Times. Even the New York Times was mocking this failure, colossal (laughs) failure. But so this lady, super feminist, I mean, she's got a new baby. Her husband follows her around and carries the baby for her. So all the feminists just, they just love it, you know? Mm-hmm. And also she, when she was campaigning to be prime minister, someone asked her, because earlier on in her political career, she'd said she didn't want to have children. She wanted to focus on her career. 
And someone in the, during the campaign said to her, do you still want to have a family? And she got all offended and said, that's such a rude question to ask. And, but uh, then it actually happened. She was prime minister, had a baby, and her husband had to come and basically hold the baby while she was doing her work. Anyway, that's, I'm, getting, I'm getting sidetracked, of course. That's no, good. So, it's good. It's good background. <laughs> I think that's neat. <laughs> but so she, yeah, she's this, this incompetent but ardent socialist feminist lady. And so naturally, media types and just, you know, the socialist feminists, just, they just love her. They're just, she's, they're, they're her biggest fan and they don't know what is going on in New Zealand. That doesn't even matter because when COVID just started back in February or whatever last year, when it was just getting some momentum, there were already articles coming out praising her. And I was thinking, nothing's even happened yet. What, what are you doing? You know, but they, they want to go, oh, look at these lovely female leaders. Okay. So this few things anger me more then the fact that I simply cannot go back to New Zealand because one, there are no flights going, but two, even if I were to go back, uh, I would be locked in a, a, a you know, quarantine for two weeks in a militarily protected area. And they protected by the military because people were escaping originally. Rock on the, 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 the escapees. <laughs> some guys went to go, they went to the liquor store to get some drinks. I don't blame them. You know, <laughs> And so people were escaping the quarantine uh, holdings, which is predictable. So now it's predicted by the military and you have to pay for it yourself. So I, I mean, maybe it's a few thousand dollars. I don't know how much, but basically this has just crushed tourism to New Zealand, obviously. And, and that's, that's like most of the economy in New Zealand, right? Well, it's not most, but it's, it's, a, it's a crucial portion of the economy, much more important than it is, let's say, in New Zealand. In, um, There's the a lot States. of m- mining as well in New Zealand or... Well, the, the mainstays traditionally have been uh, shipping cattle uh, mm-hmm. and dairy. So we are, I think, the number one butter producer in the world. Okay. So we produce a lot, a lot of, we export a lot of butter and wool, you know, so Australia and New Zealand, we have a lot of sheep and, and cattle. But obviously, it, you know, that's not going to cut it long term. So tourism has been a big uh, economic boost. And one of our major resort cities, Queenstown, is just empty. You know, people are basically selling houses because they're going broke. Mm-hmm. So the, the, so the really, and not only has it been blocking the country, people have been basically locked inside their homes or not locked, but, you know, mandated to stand inside their homes for just months on end. And even just walking a few blocks, my sisters live a couple of blocks from each other, you'll get people... Uh, what do you call it? Dobbing on you or snitching on you? Tattle, tattletales, yeah. You get some. You get some tattletales. Some, and ca- so, some Karens. Some Karens calling the police in, on you. Yeah, in New Zealand we call them narcs. So one of my my brother-in-law said we've become a nation of narcs, and so it has been crippling to let's say that just the, the 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 family bonds that let's say New Zealand has had because we're a small country and we've had this sense of community. We don't. We, it's been crushing that. And my father was staying with his partner in a different part of the country and basically was blocked from coming back to his home for weeks on end. And they were getting sick of each other. Anyway, too much TMI. But the, uh, so the, and the irony after all of this is that all of these lockdowns, even a year later, right, if there are just one or two cases in New Zealand, it's locked down again. Mm-hmm. So any kind of immunity, forget it, we don't have it. And the, so I don't really, basically, so while places like I'm in Texas, well, places like Texas or the, the, the more open states like Florida and, and the US are basically 
we're almost over this now, right? We're just getting on with our lives now. We're getting, we're getting back to normal. New Zealand is still stuck in this dystopia for a whole, it's, it's still stuck there because as soon as they let people in, they're going to have to go through the same process we've already gone through for the last year here in the United States. So they're just delaying the inevitable. And I guess the, the, the bit that frustrates me is the way that the, the goalposts are always moving. The way that originally it was, we've got to flatten the curve because we don't want to overrun our you know, public right. medical system or whatever. 12, 12 days to flatten the curve. That was the, the beginning, right? And then this woman, I think this, her name is Jacinda Ardern, the New Zealand prime minister. Maybe all this international attention got to her head. She was going, we're going to have zero cases. No COVID in New Zealand. I'm going, this is impossible. Everyone knows it's impossible. It's ridiculous. And not only has it you know, been impossible, the, the locking of the border has created all sorts of exceptions for pe- privileged people. So sports, sports stars, for example, have been able to get around this or actors who want to come and film in New Zealand have been, been able to get around this. So mm-hmm. it's created this privileged system for, for migration to New Zealand or visiting New Zealand, which I'm not apparently privileged enough to enjoy. But the, I, just, I just think this example of New Zealand is a, a brilliant case of the media jumping on and favoring something for ideological purposes and not just looking at what is going on on the ground. And the, in, the indebtedness of places like, you think the United States is insane with spending. You just go to New Zealand and Canada, another, another place that's, that's, that's very locked down, and the indebtedness they're taking on is just out of control. So they're basically ensuring higher taxes to come. And so I'm just, I'm just very sad about what's going on in New Zealand, really. And my family have been saying, you know what, Fergus, maybe, maybe you were right to have your concerns about this. You know, <laughs> like they go, they're, they're, they're becoming very libertarian in their yeah. sentiments because they don't like it. They want to get on with their lives. And because we're from, we're from the rural area, we're less anal about these things. And my father mm-hmm. goes, I'm not taking some stupid vaccine. My father just wants to get on with his life. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned about this misrepresentation and the way that everything's going swingly in New Zealand, that is not the case. It has uh, crippled our economy. And the only way that's been around this has been with just huge stimulus spending, just flooding, you know, this easy monetary policy. But of course, that's just, that's just creating a bubble for the future. So I'm, I'm concerned about it because we don't seem to have learned our lesson. And in fact, politicians are almost getting punished for the opposite, for having any kind of level-headedness and saying, you know what, maybe we need to be a bit prudent about this and not just kill the economy. Uh, so, okay, mate, I hope I gave you plenty of explanation there. <laughs> no, that, that, was, that was good. It, it'll, I think as a whole, and especially you know, in, when we look at it country by country, how we'll see sort of the pendulum swing back here, because I think it will. You know, based on you know what's happened with these lockdowns, and you've seen it, like you were talking about, Florida's been very open. New York, Pennsylvania, where I am, California, where Mark and Brian are, have been very, very strict with uh, with the lockdowns. So it'll be interesting to see how how things swing back in the next election. But I mean, who even knows if the, especially in the U.S., if these elections are fair or what they are? So I, who even knows anymore? But right. <laughs> anyway, Fergus, uh, you know, we could we could talk for much longer, I'm sure, but I want to be respectful for your time. So if you could just uh, you know plug everything that you that you're working on, all, all the things, uh, send uh, my audience uh, all yeah. the uh, all the plugs that you have. Well, I'm I'm so sad because I used to always I shouldn't say I'm sad, but basically I always want to promote my Twitter 
but I'm so frustrated with this platform now for, for banning all these people. I get really <laughs> angry about it. So, but if you go to econamericas.com, the website, you can get uh, on our e-newsletter. So that by every month we send out all the economics or finance related material that my team and I have published. So that's the place to go, econamericas.com. I write for Epoch Times and for various other outlets, but it all gets basically channeled through there. And I'll just, I mean, we didn't really talk about liberty so much today. I guess, I guess the lockdowns is, is one element, but it's I- It's related just, to liberty. But. Just say that I, I think one of, the, one of the important aspects, since this is, I think, the fighting freedom, what, what, what is this particular portion of, of lines of liberty? F- finding freedom. So, yeah, it's, it's really I'm sort of developing what it means with every interview I do, but it's still criminal justice focused, but also it's expanded into focusing on your own personal freedom, your own financial freedom, mm. um, all of that. Yeah, well, just as we've gotten older, we still have liberty in our hearts, basically. All that has changed, and I still have these, you know, I want to live in some kind of Hoppian, you know, mm-hmm. you know, state or whatever, but it's just that we, we've basically come to grips with how to make that practical in our lives. And rather than thinking we're going to just, I don't know, burn it all down. And that's, that's one thing that, you know, it, it's a change, but it's a healthy change from, in my view, that we're just growing and we still have the same beliefs, but we don't, we're not as maybe short-sighted about it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's just, that's just my view that I'm trying to be more prudent about it and accept that, even if I, you know, even if you and I, we love, we, we know we basically want a free world, you know, we, we're, we're anarcho-capitalists at heart. That's just not the way the world is. And, and this last year has just showed that to me so much. I can hardly believe yeah. the way that people just don't think like I do. I don't really know why sometimes, but. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think the epiphany I've had over the past year is, you know, we have to work and work on controlling what we can control and our own personal liberty, not in a selfish way, but after we yeah. can, you know, control that as much as possible, then you can start to, to help other people. Yeah. Yeah. So I agree with that. Focusing more on our own lives. And as you said, relying on elections to save you, man, that is just a fraught uh, path to take. You know? So thanks for having me on, mate. I'm, I'm really glad to chat with you, John. Yeah. Thank you, Fergus. Excellent, mate. Cheers. Hey, everybody, taking a quick break here from the show. Wanted to remind you all to check out uh, my man Tyler Colford, a.k.a. Crypto Man, and his new song, Free Ross. If you didn't hear my recent interview with Lynn Ulbricht, that was episode Felony Friday, episode 230. Interviewed Lynn Ulbricht, played Tyler's song, uh, Free Ross. It's fantastic, phenomenal. Not just for uh, the message of freeing Ross Ulbricht, but overall for changing the broken criminal justice system. All the proceeds from uh, the Free Ross song, hashtag Free Ross by Crypto Man. You can find it on Spotify and Amazon, Amazon Music. 100% of the proceeds from the song, hashtag Free Ross by Crypto Man, go towards freeing Ross Ulbrich. So please check it out. These are perilous times when they ruin your lives over victimless crimes and they sever your ties from your business loved ones and family wide. New slave play, but they barely pay you. Don't care about work ethic. Hope y'all enjoyed that interview on Finding Freedom, another awesome guest. And hopefully you guys also have subscribed to the Lions of Liberty podcast and you're getting all three of our unique shows. 
in your uh, little listening device delivered to your ears. Um, if you haven't, please do that. Just go to your app. You know how to do it and subscribe. You can also leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. We would prefer if you did it on Apple Podcasts, but anywhere you can on the internet, please leave us a positive comment. Also, the three shows that we have, uh, Monday's show with uh, Mark Clare, our flagship program, our longest running program, and uh, on Wednesday, Electric Liberty Land with Brian McWilliams. Um, those guys have been killing it, and I am so excited about the direction of Lions of Liberty. Um, we're seeing some awesome numbers right now, and we're going to continue to grow, so it's great stuff. If you want to support us, we would love that too. Please go to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. You can uh, support us for as little as a couple bucks, or if you get in at a higher level, you get merchandise and access to us and all the way up to you can advertise on the show or get to even produce a show. So check it all out, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. And if you haven't checked it out yet, please consider checking out the Lions of Liberty store where we have some awesome t-shirts. We have a taxation is death t-shirt with an awesome design. We have a wax on tax off t-shirt and we're always coming up with new ideas and adding new t-shirt designs to the store. Check that out at lionsofliberty.store. And if you're in the pride, you get a discount on anything you buy in the store. So you do both of those things and you win. That's all I got, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.